There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash Internet for details. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to yet again another episode of the Beautiful Game podcast. As always, I'm your host, Budge, and I'm joined by my faithful two co-conspirators, Dot and Dej. Gents, how are we doing today? I'm good, Budge, man. How are you? Happy to be here. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to be here as well. How about you, Dej? Oh, I'm very, very excited. Um, you know, this is something different, but Budge, I know you let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So we are we are recording, uh, not from the, the usual setting of our, our studio, from the TBG headquarters, but we're actually <laughs> recording from the CNN London studios. And we are in some very, very good company. We have a very well-esteemed guest amongst us. The main man. Honestly, this, this, uh, this gentleman doesn't really need uh, an introduction. Yeah, he doesn't. Um, but he has, um, you know, been working for, for, for the Mirror for 20 years. Um, we've seen him uh, make appearances on Sunday Supplement, on, on TalkSport. He's also done some work for uh, Fox Sports and, and, and CNN as well. Um, so we welcome... Darren Lewis to the platform. Welcome, 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 welcome. welcome. <laughs> it's a pleasure. I've had a round of applause before. <laughs> <laughs> no, Darren, it's a pleasure to have you on. I remember as a Real kid pleasure. growing up, my dad used to leave 40p on the table and say, you know what, Deji, go and get this newspaper. I need to hear what Darren Lewis has got to say. So this was one on his bucket list. And uh, I know when he listens to this back, he's going to be very, very happy uh, to, to listen to you. Yeah, what's interesting is like, when we were in school, I would call Dej in the morning and he would be like, I'm just on my way to the shop. I'm like, So yeah, this is a massive one for us. Yeah, 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 massive, honestly. massive one for the no, platform. Thank you. Yeah, thank so, you so before much. we kick things off, we just wanted to say thank you, uh, Darren, for making the time for us to be able to do this. It's, it really <laughs> is. Absolute um, pleasure. Yeah, you know, we really do appreciate it. Um, so, so for you listeners, uh, so you're aware of what we're going to be covering on this episode, we are going to kick things off with just a bit of a... Um, uh, a look back into uh, Darren's career to date. 
Um, we're then going to go into um, a, a short segment on uh, racism within the game and, and how we can be progressive in terms of eradicating it from the game going forward. Um, and then the final segment will just be a few uh, uh, quick fire questions that we're going to ask Darren on a load of different topics uh, within the game uh, at present. So a very, very interesting one. Make sure you listen right up until the end. <laughs> So let's kick things off, Darren. You've you've been um, at the Mirror for twenty years, mm. which is no mean feat. I mean, it's it's not something that we see very often in in this day and age. In in you know, someone staying at one particular place of work for for that mm. length of time. The last was Arsene Wenger, <laughs> <laughs> which means you know, I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so so I imagine, um, you know, especially in in your line of work and in, in in the media, things are always changing, mm. um, and so. So I, I can imagine, you know, you being uh, at the mirror for 20 years, you, you, you've you probably seen so many things change and evolve mm. and, and move on in, in that time. So let's let's let's, you know, sort of take it back. How how did you find yourself in, in, in the world of media? You know, has it always been an interest of yours since, you know, since you were younger or? Yeah, yeah. I wanted to become a journalist since I was a kid. I, and wow. I mean, a very young kid as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember seeing Trevor McDonald on TV mm-hmm. in the seventies, uh, or Trevor Madonna as, as Lenny used to call him. Um, but, 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 you know, but he, he, Lenny, Lenny made Trevor, listen, Trevor made Trevor a household name, but obviously Lenny made him, uh, as well, a national treasure, if you mm-hmm. like, you know, and uh, both of them were, 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 were national treasures, but Trevor was a real inspiration to me. Mm-hmm. And, Ever since I was a kid, I wanted to get into the industry somehow. Mm. I wanted to become a journalist somehow. And I remember in 19, what was it, 1995, because I'd done other jobs, you know, mm. just to kind of earn money. But um, I started working at a local newspaper as a news journalist in 1995. And I spent a couple of years there and then I worked for a regional newspaper but and the way I got into doing that was that I came across a story I had a very very good contact at the time who gave me a story that I was able to sell on to regional newspapers uh, and there was a particular journalist that I, I sold it to who ensured that it was on all the front pages the following day um, and looking back I think he managed to get the best financial end of the deal out of it (laughs) (laughs) I'll find him (laughs) but um, that helped me because Mm. it enabled me to be able to get shifts at a regional newspaper Mm -hmm. and by doing that I uh, got into people who helped me to get into sport and from there I got to the Daily Mirror Right. Okay. Mm. And and so at, at school, did you know the, the subjects that you you chose to study all sort of uh, you know revolve around journalism? Were you, were you always not, good not, at uh, English, say, or, or history? I was good at English. I used to mm. love. I used to love writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, just on a slightly serious note, I used to remember I went to school in Hackney, in East London, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I would come from school and I used to go to Hackney Central Library. I used to get off the bus outside the town hall, cross the road, go to Hackney Central Library and get my books or go home um, and just get into the books when I was at home. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, 
one of the saddest times for me growing up, or as I got older, was finding out that that library was to be uh, refurbished and turned into a nightclub because it it was a sad moment for me. Our community needs books. We need Mm -hmm. learning. We need Mm -hmm. reading. And it, it, it was turned into Ocean Nightclub. And I'm sure loads of people had many a good night there, but we needed a, a focal point in our mm. community for our kids to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was a very sad moment for me. But certainly from uh, where I was concerned, I benefited hugely from reading. And and, and mm. it's what I give advice to people now, you know, if you want to get into journalism, read, mm. give yourself reference point, read, write, give yourself the practice of mm. being... Um, having a wide vocabulary and mm-hmm. that's what that enabled me to do and then I eventually ended up uh, being in a position where I was able to I, I took GC you guys call them GCSEs <laughs> <laughs> at that time they weren't known as something uh, different <laughs> well they, they were called CSEs right. and then you had G, GCE O levels right. okay. and so you took your CSEs first and then the O levels after mm-hmm. I never thought I'd be old enough to be yeah. expert. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, I, I, I took the CSEs early, a year early, um, because I loved writing and I used to write. Um, and then I took the O levels after that. And uh, so, yeah, it, it, the, the subjects all were very helpful in terms mm. of what I wanted to do. And so you, you're born and bred Hackney then? You, born you and bred Hackney. Your, oh. Absolutely. I've still got family who live in Hackney oh, now. Right. Wow. Um, and uh, it's, Hackney is a very different place. It's interesting. Hackney mm. is very, I don't know if you guys are South London, aren't you? South yeah, London, yeah. South yeah. London. Okay. So I call North London north of the Thames, uh, across the river. Yeah, but of course, yeah. technically speaking, some would argue I'm East London. And it's uh, funny, you say about um, expanding your vocab and, it's like when I read any of your pieces or when I hear you on the TV, I always learn a new word. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's true. I mean, when Honestly. you speak, when we see you on different platforms at like TalkSport, you speak with such diction. <laughs> <laughs> your vocabulary is very, very extensive. We always yeah. learn. So. Whereas the worst thing for me, loads of people say, you're too quiet. You know? <laughs> so you whisper all the time. You know? but that's, just... that's what I'm seeing from the Random question to ask you, Darren. Um, so you obviously mentioned that you, you know, you've been reading for a long time. This is just like a, a curveball. Mm. What would what would you say your three favourite books are that you've read? Oh gosh, um, oh my word! Or is the list a bit too long? Have you got too many? <laughs> well, no, no, no. I, I liked Long Walk to Freedom. Mm. Um, I, I like sports books, if I'm honest. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. So you read a lot so, of autobiographies and that yeah, kind of thing? Yeah, I, re- I read a lot of autobiography, um, random ones as well. Mm. Um, I liked uh, Behind the White Ball, which is Jimmy White's autobiography, mm. the snooker player. Mm. Um, I liked that a lot because that that was a story of a guy who you know, never won the world championship. He was a very, very gifted, naturally gifted, talented mm. player. But... Uh, he told of all the times where he did things the way he shouldn't do them rather than the way he should. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of his life behind the scenes as well. It was a really entertaining book. Um, I liked Kieran Fallon's autobiography, mm-hmm. you know, because again, it, it, he was a guy very introverted. He had lots of ups, lots of downs, very talented in the saddle. 
Um, and obviously these are moving into different sports, but yeah, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I like the story of people who've worked hard to get mm. to where they were, mm. but I also like inspirational stories yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> and also because they're the first three I could think of. <laughs> <laughs> I, there's obviously news now that um, Arsene Wenger's uh, book's going to be coming out at some point yeah. next, next year. And I always mention that, um, you know, as, as soon as I heard that that book was coming out, I'd always take some time off work to make sure I Absolutely. could really just uh, get stuck into yeah. it. Because, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. so much that, you know, uh, is still left unanswered. So yeah. so yeah. many questions that Arsenal fans, me being an Arsenal fan, of course, uh, we have so many questions that we, we want answered. And I, 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 I imagine I speak for loads of Arsenal fans who say, you know that that book is is going to be you know uh, I think it'll be an amazing one. book and I think you know as we know with a lot of these people as they get older and they realise you know I've got nothing to lose I might as well be honest and mm. open about what mm-hmm. I want to say and, and I think that's a big part of the reason why Venga will be fairly open mm. and it's quite interesting to see now when Unai Emery first took over loads of people saying great and I think they loved him because he wasn't Wenger rather yeah, than because yeah, what yeah. I, I, I kind of I'm in two minds because I did feel on the one hand under well but on the other hand I did think well you you are in the Europa League and you've got a guy who was a Europa League manager he's won it a number of times in Sevilla yeah. so maybe he would be a good fit but I look at the team now and I don't see that he's actually improve the team Mm. and I would say my biggest thing certainly this season about Arsenal is that I know Nicolas Pepe scored two bangers the other day (laughs) I'm allowed to say bangers (laughs) I'm not that old (laughs) but but Arsenal didn't need him Arsenal needed a commanding central midfielder or a commanding centre-half because when you look at the goals they conceded last season, 51 goals they conceded last season, that tells you that they haven't got enough organisation at the back or they don't have enough protection in midfield for that back. Mm. Guendouzi is going to be a fantastic player, mm-hmm. but where is your Kante? Where is your Fernandinho? Mm-hmm. I know Fernandinho is playing at centre-half for City. Isn't Torreira meant to be that figure, but Emery doesn't, doesn't seem to fancy Exactly, and mm-hmm. that's what is so amazing, because I think AC Milan wanted to sign him earlier this year, and Arsenal didn't allow him to leave. So mm-hmm. if you're not going to play him, why not let him go to AC Milan? Mm-hmm. So that's my big problem, and that's why you're so easy, Arsenal are so easy to play against. Not mm-hmm. as a criticism of the of, of the club itself but I just think you look at the Arsenal team and you see a team where other teams can dominate in that midfield area or take advantage of the lack of organisation at set pieces mm-hmm. uh, Lise Mousset is a, a, a decent player but mm-hmm. he was completely unmarked in the six yard box yeah, to score not, the other day it's not yeah. right yeah. 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 that's not the, the kind of organisation to rear the ugly head with Arsenal we see it time time again and that's mm. why you look at, I think there are some stats suggesting that his record's no better than Arsene Wenger's without the trophies yeah. at yeah, Arsenal. Yeah. And I think that Emery's got a problem because I think in the short term, unless he, he can start to improve the team this season, because let's not kill ourselves, every season around about November, you guys go through a, a difficult run. And I just wonder if that Sheffield United defeat is the start of that difficult run where you might get one or two wins in that period, but you'll start to go out of competitions and the confident lack of confidence will set in. As I say, Pepe 
decent player, you need time, he'll get better. But if you've got 100%. 76 million pounds to spend and you've conceded as many goals as you did last season, mm. you really do need to be looking at your midfield and your defence because they're the areas where you've been let down. You look at the two strikers, mm. Lacazette and Aubameyang, they scored 50 goals between them last season. Mm. You didn't need another striker. Yeah, but Darren, the argument is they have strength in the defence. They brought on Kieran Turney, they brought in um, Saliba, um, David Luiz. Saliba can't play this season. That was a deal of convenience. Pepe was in the market, so they're thinking, hold on, let's let's make this happen. It's too good of an opportunity to turn down, surely. Maybe, but the problem with not dealing with the problems that you've got in defence in the midfield at the moment are that by the time you do deal with those problems, the other teams, the bigger teams, that will be mm. further away from you yeah. than they mm. should be. And when you look at the top four now, people are saying there's more chance of Leicester getting in there mm-hmm. because they've got better balance in their team. Mm-hmm. They sold Maguire, they've got Soyuncu, who some people... Okay, maybe of a Leicester persuasion, but Leicester fans are saying maybe he's a superior player <laughs> than the guy that you got eighty-five million pounds for. So, yeah, yeah. I were actually linked with Sayinku uh, a little while back, actually mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And you know, the the, the 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 key word that you used there was, which was quite interesting, was balance. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot of Arsenal fans feel uh, Emery's getting it wrong mm-hmm. um, in that the the the, comp- the midfield composition um, that he tends to go with doesn't give us the best balance and it invites a bit too much pressure and mm. not and it doesn't provide enough cover for the for for the defense um and 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 the main sort of talking point in that midfield uh, from certainly from a defensive standpoint is the argument between Jaka uh, versus Torreira mm. um and and you know i mean Torreira endeared himself to Arsenal fans within the first 5 minutes of his first mm. appearance when he you know just diving into challenges and breaking up play and that kind of thing um and and, and we saw him you know perform quite well in that in in the base of the midfield I saw him in the year. North London derby and I thought he was terrific yeah. Yeah. and I thought this guy is going to be a mainstay of this team and by comparison Xhaka's a liability I know he's <laughs> yeah. played over a hundred times for Switzerland but I look at Xhaka and he always in every game is guilty of a mistake that affects mm. the team negatively I think I think Dej mentioned him it's like having CCTV but leaving your front door open it just doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't make sense yeah, it doesn't offer no security whatsoever can I use that in one of my matches <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, to be fair. That that is up alongside. um, I remember Jose Mourinho was asked about um, why people are so against VAR. Mm. And he said, it's a little bit like CCTV. You're only worried about CCTV if you're a thief. That's a valid point. And Unai Emery recently came out and said he wanted Fabinho at Arsenal. Mm. instead of Torreira so what's that going to do for his confidence as yeah, well yeah, I mean, yeah. again and, and, and that's such a, an important point because I see Torreira and I see a player there that's undervalued mm. and I think you know the idea that you would actually be go public on the idea that you wanted Fabinho why would you say that yeah. what positive can come from that yeah, yeah. but I think seen- his back's against the wall he's under mm. pressure and loads of people are saying why haven't you taken action to strengthen your midfield yeah. now if you say I wanted Fabinho but he decided to go to Liverpool 
where A, when you've got Torreira there and B, when you've got a scouting network who can get another player, that's a failure of your management mm-hmm. because you should have a couple of players where you think to yourself, if I don't get this player, I'm going to get that player, but I'm going to strengthen this area of the park because mm-hmm. we're not strong enough in there. And I think that for all of those reasons, Emery has to be under pressure, not just mm-hmm. because of Sheffield United, but because you look at the team and he doesn't look like he's improved that team at all. Mm. But there's a wider question as well. Does Emery actually control the recruitment? Because I was under the illusion that it's a board level decision to make the signings and Emery's job is to just coach the players. You're mm. absolutely right about that. But as I say, it's still a failure because a lot of teams now... <clears throat> It's it's more of a collaborative decision. Yeah. So it's the chief scout, director of football, mm. the manager, the chairman. Everyone comes together and they all agree on certain signings that they're going to target and certain areas that they're going to improve. Well, you can't tell me that all those people didn't come together and look at the goals that they conceded, the lack of presence in the midfield, the issues that they've had being dominated by supposedly inferior yeah, teams at yeah. inferior clubs and think to themselves... I know we'll get a striker instead. You know, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and the thing about it is as well, he he seems as as, as someone who is quite stubborn um, in his beliefs, mm. um, and and someone who is willing to go against the grain um, mm. and, and completely go against whatever the general consensus might be. Um, prime example is with the the, the matter of Onozel, right? So. Uh, the, the team at the moment isn't creating many chances, not scoring f- uh, or, pl- or playing sort of free-flowing, fluid football. Um, and you've got a, a player in Ozil who could, you know, arguably be past his best, but is still probably the best creator in that in that squad. Yet still, he can't make a match day squad for I don't know how many weeks now. Um, and you've got uh, uh, disillusioned fans who are chanting for Ozil to be included, and mm. and he and and, and at every opportunity when he's interviewed and he's asked a question on Ozil, he always refuses to comment on it. Mm. Um, you know, and 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 the whole idea of him being so um, stubborn with his approach doesn't really make so much sense in in terms of the playing style because there is no playing style. So mm. you're being stubborn and you're 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 sticking to your principles mm. and 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 so many people feel and and believe that you don't actually have a footballing principle to be stubborn with. You see that on the one hand I I think you're absolutely right. I I look at when he was at PSG and he was wanted to play a 4-2-3-1 and and the players put pressure on him to go back to a 4-3-3 because they got the best out of the senior players. Mm. And uh, I think his instinct is to be safety first and, and you can't stick to those principles when you've got a team where you, the sum of the parts you have to how can you start a side without one of the most lethal strikers in the Premier League and Lacazette you know it, it's madness but they're not with Ozil it's slightly different in so much as they've clearly taken a club decision that this guy mm-hmm. earns a lot of money but he's not he's off very often a passenger in mm-hmm. the big teams and last season when I was at games I went to North London Derby and he had a cold and then for the <laughs> Manchester <laughs> game away he had a cold and then, I mean this guy needs some potent uh, medicine to sort this guy out he's got the longest cold I've ever seen in my life you know um, but I think the reality with Ozil is he just doesn't fancy him and, they, and mm. I think he's taken the view he needs to make it clear to Ozil that right. I'm not going to indulge you by playing you in any games if we've got to take a hit on certain games. And quite clearly behind the scenes, that's what Arsenal have decided. Let's 
ride the storm with this. If the fans are unhappy, fair enough. But if we're going to make it clear to this player that he needs to find his new club, a new club, mm -hmm. the best way to do it is literally by leaving him out and giving him a decision to make. Mm -hmm. And he can either stay, as some players would, let's not kid ourselves, some players mm -hmm. would, I yep. remember Winston Bogard at Chelsea said, I'll, fly, I'll go training, I'll fly to Holland. I'll stay with my family. I'll come back the next day. I don't care, you know, because the contract is too good. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair right? yeah, yeah, play, exactly. <laughs> but I think as far as Ozil's concerned, I often think there does come a point where you have to decide whether you want to play football or not. Mm. You know, you have to decide whether you're valued or not. All of us in our workplace, if we work in an mm. office, you know, and the and the boss keeps passing us over, passing us over. We wouldn't stay longer than about six months mm, and then yeah, we'd think, mm. let's go somewhere else. Mm. Well, Ozil's got to do that. You know, he's he's a very, very good player. If he feels he's not being, well, he's not if he feels, he's not being appreciated by yeah. Arsenal. Yeah. But Darren, is he still a good player? Because for me, it seems that your stock goes up when you're not playing. Yeah. When someone's injured, yeah. they miss Ozil. Or... Do you know, it's funny you say that. You know, <laughs> I, I remember doing this job, especially with transfers. Mm. I've This is the... The one thing I've found in 20 years of, of doing this job is that some players value or stock or a bit goes up. Some A lot of people never seen them play, you know, <laughs> but the club missed out on them. So the club are doing something wrong, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. And I think that with Ozil, I, I certainly think that, um, yeah, if you look at the, the, the big games, and even some of the smaller games, Ozil can be a passenger. Yes, he can mm -hmm. play a killer pass on, 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 on occasion, whatever else. But there have been a lot of games where, I'll give you an example. If you look at Aaron Ramsey, when Aaron Ramsey was in the last year of his contract, but Emery played him when he could because he realized that not only would he get offensive power out of him, but he would also get defensive mm -hmm. discipline as well. Mm -hmm. He would track back, he would work hard. Really, with Ozil, so often when the going gets tough, you you can't find him. And mm. I think the the biggest match I look at is the Europa League final last season. Second half of that match, I was there in Baku, and Eden Hazard ran the game for Chelsea. He took the game by the scruff of the neck and won it effectively for mm. Chelsea. Ozil, my binoculars are out. I couldn't find him. <laughs> you know, I, and, and, and you know that's a game yeah. where you need. And I think it was after that game possibly where Emery decided, you know what, enough. Mm. We're going to make him available for transfer. And if he doesn't get sold or if someone doesn't come in for him, we're just going to not play yeah, and, and yeah. plan without him. Mm. But the thing with Ozil as well, I look at his age, over 30, what's his hunger levels like? Is he still hungry to succeed? Mm. Does he still want to push on? Or is he just happy, you know, let my career peter out? And mm. that's what we're going to find out in the coming months. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so just going back to a, a team that you mentioned uh, a little earlier on, uh, Darren, we're obviously talking about Arsenal and, and, and their bid for top four and, and the fact that, you know, it, you know at, at the start of the season, after certainly after the, the, the summer transfer window, it sort of felt like Arsenal were, were in, a, in, in pole position to finish in that top four. Mm. Um, now we see the emergence of, of, of a team who seem to be playing some very, very good expansive football um, who, you know, they, they've got goals all over the team. Um, and, and now I, I think a lot of people are, are questioning perhaps this team could, you know, break that standard top four mold that we, we, we tend to see and, and, you know, and be a surprise inclusion, uh, this, this season. Um, and, and that team obviously is, is, is Leicester. Um, so I, I guess we wanted to just get your, your, your thoughts on, on, on Leicester at the moment and how they're performing under Brendan Rodgers. Um, yeah. Are they the real deal? Mm. <laughs> it, 
it's hard. I still think it's hard to tell this mm. early, um, because I can make a judgment on Arsenal because historically mm. with Arsenal, mm. Arsenal they they start okay, and then around about autumn they lose their way, and and they've done that most seasons, uh, and even in. <clears throat> The, and, and the reason why they've stayed outside of the Champions League places is exactly that. Mm-hmm. They, they, they tend to lose their way. They don't solve the problems they've got defensively. Um, as you rightly pointed out, they did buy Kieran Tierney. Mm-hmm. Saliba is, is not available to them season, but this season. But I think what they didn't bring in in the summer transfer window is leadership. And anybody could have told you that Louise is not the answer. Mm-hmm. You know, Louise, Chelsea have got rid of Louise and they're a better team defensively. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and that tells you everything. <laughs> you know, for Kyle Tamori's won nothing. Uh, Louise has won pr- pretty much a lot. Mm. And yet, you know, Louise is just somebody that you watch through your fingers most times. And I think as far as Leicester are concerned, when they won the league, and it was a big surprise, but they took advantage of the fact that a lot of teams were in transition. Mm. And I think that their chances of getting into the top four now rest on a lot of teams being in transition again. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, and if, if you think about, you know, Arsenal haven't solved their defensive problems. Chelsea have got a young team who are in a fantastic role, but can they keep that going? You could argue that they might do, given that they've got Canty to come back, Pedro to come back. You know, they've got two players on either side, you know, uh, William, uh, sorry, uh, Hudson-Odoi and Pulisic on one side. They've got Mason Mount, who can pretty much play anywhere. You've got William on the other side. You've got Abraham. Maybe they might, if they get the transfer ban lifted in January, they could go and try and get a Callum Wilson as backup. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they've already got Giroud as backup mm. although Giroud does want to go somewhere else and play um, every week I think as far as Leicester are concerned you look at Spurs Spurs are in transition you know they're having mm. a, a nightmare season so far which can't possibly get much worse but you, you just don't it know it gets worse today Darren it's no also bias. Damien they haven't mentioned you know arguably the biggest club in the world yet Manchester yeah, United. Yeah, well, uh, absolutely. And, 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 and that underlines my point even more. Man United are nowhere near it. And there was a time where Man United would start the season slowly and everyone would say, yeah, but they're Man United, they'll mm-hmm. be back. You know, they're not going to be back this season, you mm-hmm. know, because Solskjaer's a rookie and I don't see much evidence <laughs> that. I don't, I, it's not saying that to be disrespectful, mm-hmm. but I just think that I don't see any evidence. If you look at Leicester, one of the key things about the 9-0 on Friday night Obviously, with the goals, they were very well taken. But the thing that struck me the most about that match was Iosi Perez. Because I think last season, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he scored 13 goals for Newcastle. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and and he was okay, but he wasn't all that. Yeah. Mm. He looks to have been improved by Brendan Rodgers. And that's what I mean about, you know, the impact that a manager can have on a player. You look mm. at Spurs. Isn't that because he's playing with better players, though? Wouldn't you say? Because Newcastle... The way they played as well, very defensive under Rafa Benitez. Leicester are much more, you know, expressive. Yeah, so. but it's it's easy to say that, but like some players are better equipped in small teams because everything goes through them. For example, at Newcastle, Ayuzi Perez was the main source of goals, whereas at Leicester, there's two or three players ahead of him in terms of the pecking order. You got Vardy, you got Madison. Mm. All these players are 
you know, key players at the club. Whereas at Newcastle, everything was built for him and Rondon, in my opinion. Mm, I, I agree with that to an extent, but also when he was at um, Newcastle, he was a lot hit and miss, hot and cold. This season so far as well, I don't think he started overly impressive. I mean, against, you know, um, Southampton on um, Friday night, it was very, very impressive. But yeah, my main issue yeah. my main issue with him is his consistency. And now he's at a platform now where he can show where yeah, he can be consistent. I don't, I don't think he's at a team where he has to be consistent week in, week out. But I think he just needs to have a good input in terms of numbers, goals and assists. Maybe if he can get 10 goals... I think Leicester will be more than happy of with course. him. I think his role in that team is more for the long term. I think once Vardy starts to, you know, diminish, I feel that he's potentially going to move into that central role. Yeah. And he's a, he's a really talented mm. player, in my He's a opinion. good supplement. He's a good mm. supplement player. I think Especially Vardy firing on all cylinders now. Mm. You know, apparently he came into pre-season I think in the his way, best body shape. So. I think the way that they, 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 they are able to open teams up and the way that Vardy is able to draw defenders out of position gives players around him space to be able to convert and I think Mm -hmm. that's what happened on Friday night obviously Southampton were missing Bertrand they Mm -hmm. put Kevin Danso in the second on in the second half and uh, but they just their heads had gone by then but the fact was that the composure that Leicester was showing in that final third Mm -hmm. I I think it's the reason why I, I would agree that they got a good chance that combined with the fact that some of the so well apart from Liverpool and Manchester United, the other so-called big teams are in transition at the moment mm. or going through poor form. So what Leicester have to do is keep it up, keep, yeah. keep that run going. Um, and they're also only playing once a week, yeah, which is that's key. That's a big, big factor. That's key, yeah, because they've got to stay clear of injuries as well. Mm-hmm. But they've definitely got the squad. And I think that he he's built a team and a big part of Manchester United's problem is that they haven't built a team. They've got one or two good players. But, mm. you know, if you look at Spurs, they did build a team, but that team now, not all of it is committed to the club. And that's a fact because the the, the two central halves, uh, Vertonghen and Alderweireld, they don't want to sign new contracts. Ericsson wants to play for Real Madrid. Um, Wanyama, he can't get into the team anymore and he wants to go either to Turkey or wherever he can get regular first team football. Um, they haven't solved their problem at right back after selling mm. Trippier. Uh, Walker Peters is going to be a good player, but he's not quite there yet. Mm. Uh, Foyth is a centre half who's going to be playing at right back. There are lots of problems there. So when you look at all of those teams and then you think to yourself, Leicester are in good form, what Leicester have to do is, is build up a run. And, and, and capitalize on that. And if they can do that, they're not, yeah, I think they would be in the top four. But if they, mm-hmm. if they, if they're not able to build a run, not take this chance, it's like when they won the title, that chance will never come again because, you know, Liverpool and Man, United, Man City are too strong. But the top four, if they could get into the top four, you know, get better players, you know, build on it and maybe take advice and keep one of the big clubs out, they'd be in mm-hmm. great shape. Yeah. I've always been of the belief that you see, how good the team are when their opposition is down to 10 men. Yes. And I think that's where you start to notice the attacking patterns that they're working in training come to fruition. I mean, the way Leicester were carving Southampton open, that shows that they're putting hours into the training ground, working in, you know, probably six versus five, um, you know, scenarios. And I just feel that, I said it last week on the platform, I feel that this Leicester team, they're best equipped to finish in the top four. And I nailed my colours to the mask saying that they are going to finish in the top four because I believe. <laughs> Do you know what I've learned? Do you know what I've learned? To you? I remember once I, I, I said a team would, I, I, a team had gone down from the Premier League and I said that they were going to 
they were they were in such bad shape that they were in danger of getting relegated again. Yeah, and they got promoted the next season, right? And, and I had lots of obviously Twitter wasn't around, thank God. <laughs> but someone wrote in and said, "Will you consider your resignation?" <laughs> So, Darren, Sadly how not. highly do you rate Brendan Rodgers? Obviously, I'm a Liverpool fan, mm. so I remember when he came to Liverpool, he's a bit wet behind the ears. He'll come out in the press conferences and over-talk things. Mm. But throughout his stint at Leicester, he seems to have matured as a man and mm. as a manager. And we don't see, you know, a lot of the hyperbole that mm. he used to display. So, how do you rate him as a manager? I think he's got a fantastic vision for the game. And I think that he's underrated as well. Okay. I, I, sometimes I see a lot of disrespect towards Le- uh, Brendan Rodgers. But I think he took a team from seventh to the brink of the title at Anfield. And it was a real shame that that, that year that they, mm. it, they were one Steven Gerrard slip away from winning the title. But what do you make of people that say that was heavily Luis Suarez's influence? Because a lot of people <laughs> have mentioned that you know what, uh, Brendan Rodgers, it wasn't really him. Luis Suarez was a man in form, a man, you know, possessed that season mm-hmm. and, and nothing was going to deny him. Yeah, but sometimes you, you... I look at Messi at Barcelona and, and some of the managers who benefited from him and and the way that Messi has helped some managers to improve themselves, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and the way that they think about the game and, and the way that they approach matches, you know, I, I don't see that as a particular criticism. And also I think that doesn't give enough credit to people like Sturridge who are in that mm-hmm. team and the inspirational power of Gerrard as well. And Sterling as well, who yep. was finally in that game. Mm-hmm. And could, exactly, there were some very, very good players in that team. I, I think as far as Brendan Rodgers is concerned, I mean, the point that you made about the way that they finished off Southampton after they'd gone down to 10 men. So often when you see matches where a team gets smashed up in the first half, say it's 5-0, the second half's like mm. 6 or 7-1, but mm. not really that much dominance in the second half. Down the left side in particular, Chilwell and Barnes and the way that they were just ripping them apart mm. down the left it was just frightening to watch Madison looks <laughs> to be a, a player who's he's got himself into the England picture and I think he's going to build from there mm. as I said Perez has improved people wrote off Jamie Vardy he looks a better yeah. player Soyuncu as centre half I mean he's going to be just such a good player and even you know other players as well Chowdhury when, when he <laughs> Chowdhury's got a hot streak. He's got a little bit of an edge to him yeah. this game, but I, I think Brendan Rodgers can sort that out. Mm. And I think he's built a proper team at Leicester. Um, and I, I don't just get carried away by by the nine nil because I still think that's just one game, one mm. result, and it could still it, it will still be hard to get into the top four. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think Chelsea will get in there. I really okay. do think Chelsea will get in there. And I think Spurs, if they can get their rebuild going in, you know, in the second half and get a couple of players out and get players in, I think they, they're still live contenders for a second uh, top four right. finish as well. So it'll be tough for Leicester, but I think they've got a very good chance. I think, Darren, just quickly before we move on from Leicester, I think just the buttress you're playing on, on Leicester, um, I think the director of football, John Rockin, needs to have a huge, you know, shout and out. Susan Willen as well, yeah, yeah. They've been doing, you know, marvellous work mm. over the last two years. I mean, some of Leicester's recruitment, imagine that was at Man United. Mm. Where would mm. Man United be now? Mm. I mean, I think- Tillemans. Yeah, yeah. T. Lemons is a, is a fantastic player. Uh, um, obviously, Madison's been 
terrific for them. And Perez, the, the underrated. Yeah. 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 Even before yeah. then, Steve Walsh, when he brought in Riyad Mahrez, yeah. you know, yeah. for a minimal fee from, you know, France. So, Kante as well. Yeah, there's been a lot yeah. of good work that's been so going Yanchu, on yeah. over a course of years, which has, mm. you know, stead Leicester in a good, you know, shape. That goes I mean, back to our point mm. about building a team. Mm. You know, if you're Manchester United, it's very easy to bring in big name players and then say to the manager, well, you've got good players, make it work, mm. you know, but they might not all have the same mentality. They might not have the same approach. They might not, you know, the, the egos obviously play a big part as well, mm. you know, and it takes a good manager to be able to fuse all of that together, you know, and if you look at some of the teams, if, well, if you look at the Leicester team, it's a relatively young team. Yeah. Mm. If you look at the Chelsea team, that's a very young team as well. Right. If you look at the Spurs team, that's a, a, a young team that's maybe matured to the point where it, you've got to break it up and get a group of players now who are all hungry again mm. rather than players who think well I've done it now I've got to a Champions League final and they're thinking either about the money about or about the fact that maybe they're up for a move for a bigger club and they don't need Spurs anymore mm. so I, I I agree I think the the, the, the recruitment's outstanding mm. at Leicester and it's a big reason why they've got a good chance and why they've got that continuity. And if you look at clubs like Liverpool and, and City, City's recruitment has been outstanding for a long time. I think I remember a friend of mine, when Edison, when City bought Edison for £25 million, pounds, uh, he was joking to me that they must have thought he was a striker because you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not striking the ball like a striker <laughs> so, yeah, we saw that on the weekend absolutely. as well so, yeah. but you know I, I, but their, their recruitment they've always thought outside the box Sane mm. you know uh, Gabriel Jesus um, Bernardo Silva Bernardo mm. Silva exactly you know they're not scrap, scrambling for the same players that so many Premier League mm. clubs are fighting for they've got their niche you know, Exactly, and they think outside the box. And I think uh, Liverpool, you know, after a long time of, you know, scrimping and scraping, they're going out and buying quality and dealing with specific problems in Mm. a fantastic way. Van Dijk, Alisson, you know, and when they go out and they're going to try and buy another, if they try and buy another striker again, I would imagine that will be quite a high class acquisition Mm. as well. But when they wanted backup for Salah, they went out and got. Shakiri, yeah, for a bargain, thirteen million pounds. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think Leicester's recruitment's been been excellent, and it, they've got a team there that Brendan Rodgers is going to be able to mould to become a mm-hmm. real force in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Can I just? I don't think they're going to get top four personally. So I'm also <laughs> going to nail my colours to the mast. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? So, so some of the points that you guys raised actually are a perfect segue into the next question I was going to ask which was basically we see now that uh, quite a few clubs have burgeoning young talent. Uh, you, you mentioned obviously Leicester, uh, Chelsea, Spurs, so on and so forth. What I wanted to ask you you all essentially is which team do you feel has the best prospects in terms of young players? Uh, which, 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 which crop of young players excite you the most uh, at, at these different teams? Um, you know, so uh, we, we mentioned Leicester, for example, you've got Ben Chilwell, you've got Wilfred and Didi, you've got Yuri Tielemans, uh, Harvey Barnes. Um, at Chelsea, for example, you have uh, Fikayo Tomori, you have Christian Pulisic, uh, Mason Mount, um, Tammy Abraham Reece James Reece James as well who's coming through um, at Arsenal you have Bakayo Saka you mm. have um, Callum Willock Joe Willock Smith Rowe Joe, Joe Willock yeah, Emil Smith Rowe um, uh, you've got uh, Gwendu- uh, Gwendouzi of mm. course mm. Um, 
Liverpool have Liam Brewster, yeah, Curtis Jones, you know, even Trent. People Trent, forget yeah, that he's, he's a youngster. Young Joe Gomez. Joe Gomez. Joe Gomez. It's an interesting one, but if I was just to kick it off, I would say Chelsea. I think they've got a lot of players that mm. can go on to, you know, reach lofty is that part? Is that partly influenced by the fact that a load of their young players are maybe furthering their... Uh, the process of development in that they're mm. playing regularly week in week out and performing now or mm. is it just no, I think talent I talent, talent. Hudson Odoi yeah. I remember when he was 15 years of age yeah. you know someone that I respect well in the game said that this boy is going right to the mm. top Mason Mount obviously he's benefiting from the season at Derby yeah. where his form sort of fluctuated but this season he's been very very consistent mm-hmm. last season we had Tammy Abraham he was at Aston Villa you know, it was dovetailing well with, you know, Conor Hurahan mm-hmm. and Jack Grealish. Mm-hmm. So I think they've benefited from seasons, yeah, you know, yeah, on yeah. loan. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing that they are, you know, bona fide Premier League players. Mm-hmm. Another one, Reese James. I remember him at Wigan last season, yeah. you know, running up and down mm-hmm. that line. So I think Chelsea, you would have to say they've got the more, they've got quantity. Yeah. And plus, I would say that... All this, across the pitch as well, isn't mm, it, really? I would like, say they've benefited attack. from this, you know, transfer ban mm-hmm. because I think there's been like a lost generation of potential, you know, Chelsea stars. Jeremy mm-hmm. And now they've been mm-hmm. forced into a situation. Yeah, yeah. I remember Josh McCracken, mm-hmm. he was touted for big things mm-hmm. and obviously he didn't get his opportunities. But now, because of the situation they're in, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're getting these opportunities. So Absolutely. I would say Chelsea. Okay. To be honest, I don't think Chelsea have stumbled across this situation. I think... If they were given the job to Lampard, I think he always would have played the youth, regardless of the transfer ban. Maybe he would have assured a few positions and got experience in. But would he have got the job if they didn't admit, get the that's transfer what, ban? That's what I'm saying. I don't think so, exactly. personally. But I remember someone saying, I can't recall who, um, but they were saying that like, this Chelsea Academy reminds them kind of like La Masia of... Um, mm. Barcelona, where you, you're going to have potentially the majority of the English team coming from Chelsea. When you look at the future, you've got, as you mentioned, Rhys James, mm. you've got Callum hudson Adoy, you've got Mason Mount, you've got Tomori. So if these guys are continually playing football week in, week out, eventually that Chelsea imprint will go into the England squad. Mm. And we saw similar with Barcelona, mm. Um, mm. you know, when we were watching arguably the greatest team in my generation, yeah. Yeah. the Spain national team, mm. you know, mm. conquer the world and conquer Europe. I feel that this Chelsea team, I know it's a bit far to jump the gun, but they've got talent there in abundance, in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, th- I think, I mean, I... <laughs> It's, it's high praise it's to compare really, them yeah, to La Masia yeah. um, <laughs> because La Masia produced some of the best players literally in mm, Europe mm, and the world. Mm. But but I, I certainly agree with the general point that you're making, yeah. where, which is that I would have to say Chelsea because for a lot of time, for a long time, they've been youth champions, FA level, league level, whatever. It is. But what they've they've gone that step further now, and I actually agree with you. I don't think Lampard would have got the job if mm. they didn't have the transfer ban. I think they'd have gone for a higher caliber manager, and they'd be in the same situation that they've been in for many many years, which which is that they've got high caliber players, mm-hmm. but they've got talented young players who are on loan at championship clubs uh, and and getting disillusioned and not doing too much and I don't think Mason Mount would have got into for example the first team even Tammy Abraham at the start of the season you might remember the most unrepresentative 4-0 defeat to Manchester United you'll ever see Mm -hmm. because if Abraham scores in that match he hits the post Mm -hmm. if you remember it's a completely different game and I think Chelsea's young players now Look as though, as you say, they could they they could all be England regulars mm. in, in 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 the not too distant future. Yesterday, 
Fikayo Tamori pulled off a tackle yeah. on Joe on, on Jay Rodriguez, yeah. which was just outstanding. Fantastic. You know, the, the ground he makes up, the timing of the tackle, that tells you that this is a player who is just going to be fantastic for Chelsea. And I think the the other players that you mentioned at the other clubs have all got big futures. But I think as far as Chelsea are concerned. Right now, they've got such a good crop and, and, and they get so much confidence from the manager. Pulisic is, 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 is a big one for me because I, I, I last season, uh, Chelsea invited a few of us journalists to go to Stamford Bridge to sit down with him and they wanted to do an interview with him. And, and the kind of manage expectations, they knew that Hazard would be leaving and they didn't want people to see Pulisic as the next Eden Hazard. Okay, but I saw him in pre-season and he looked terrific. And I was really surprised at the start of the season when he didn't play. But I now understand that he'd he'd gone to the Concacaf Gold Cup. They got to the final. He'd had a week's break. He actually went straight from there to join uh, Chelsea in Austria. And I, I covered a game out in Austria. Um, and he'd not had long enough to rest. So Lampard has wanted him to rest. But the way he took the goals yesterday says to me that he is he is going to be in that team he's going, mm-hmm. going to give him some serious competition and weirdly enough he was the best player for America anyway he was mm-hmm. by a mile but I think he's going to be even better for, like for, for fighting to get into that team so if you're talking about a, col- a, a collection of young players and you do have to respect Liverpool and Arsenal and, and all the other clubs that you mentioned but Chelsea's collection of players right now they're playing regular first team football they're winning they're on a winning streak of seven games in a row, mm-hmm. six games in a row away from home. I think it is. Uh, they're in front, and they all look quality. And so, mm-hmm. I, I, I would go with with, with yourself, David, and say Chelsea. And also, Did you say Chelsea as well? Yeah. You have to give credit to you know Frank Lampard as well. He's cultivated you know an ambience within that squad, which makes it acceptable for the players to express themselves. You played. What what, what is that ambience? How do you do that? Um, I think, obviously, winning breeds success. So it generally comes from, you know, believing in your manager. If you know you've got a manager that, you know what, I'll run through a brick wall. That obviously breeds confidence. You want to come into training every day. And when you look at the Chelsea players, particularly the young ones, there's like a collective. If one's doing well, it will spread throughout the dressing room. And obviously, look at William. Mm. He's suffering like a a renaissance. Mm. He's having a renaissance in form because that young energy... And it brings out the best. So I think Lampard, you know, is doing a great job. Even just to, you know, butcher us on Deji's point, even like the goal yesterday, Pulisic's first goal. Do you see the players? They were so happy for him. There's an ambience. There's a great, you know, positivity that's been built within the camp, which is always going to, you know, generate good performances. And, And also Pulisic was one, you could hear murmurs in the press of discontent. I'm not getting opportunities. When he went on international break, he was talking to the local media and he's come back and he scored a hat trick. That's how to, you know, wear the shirt. That's how to earn the shirt by putting in devastating performances. And mm. that can only be good for the squad because if everyone's performing, you know, you know that when you get into that starting 11, you have to perform once someone else is going to take your position. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the thing about Lampard is that it's fascinating for us as journalists because he's a new manager and it's one thing being a manager and it's another thing being a manager of Chelsea where mm. there's a lot of pressure, you mm. know, and... Uh, pressure to perform, pressure to stay in the top four, 
pressure to do well in the Champions League. There's a lot of pressure. Some people might say that they're fortunate to have not too tough a Champions League group. And actually that Champions League group mm. is a great education for those young players as mm -hmm. well. Mm. Um, and I agree with what you're saying about Lampard. He's gone in there and the biggest thing you could say about him is that people ac accept him as a manager, not a rookie manager, mm. but as a manager already. You know, he's got the authority about him. Mm. He's dealt with specific situations mm. really well. David Luiz. David know. Luiz mm. is a really good case in point. And I think as well, he he's made Chelsea likeable. People like watching Chelsea. Mm. They enjoy watching Chelsea. You know, the way that they score goals with a counter-attack, the way that they pass the ball around full stop. You know, they they are not boring sideways and backwards. I look at Kovacic as a really good case in point. Mm -hmm. A lot of people wondered what he did. You know. And yet you look at him now, yeah. you know, and, he, and, and he's got a good combination with uh, uh, Jorginho. Mm -hmm. Uh, he he's plays the forward pass whenever he can. He's got a good eye for through ball. And mm. the biggest thing you could say about Chelsea at the moment is you forget that Kanté is still their best midfielder. Mm. You know, but he, you know he's he's obviously injured and he can't get into the side. So, so whilst we're on the topic of of squad harmony um, and and you know a togetherness uh, within within the club. Um, we, if we look at the other side of the spectrum, so we obviously got Chelsea, who's a good example at the moment. Uh, on the flip side, um, it from the outside looking in, it appears as though there isn't much squad harmony uh, within the camp at, at Spurs at the moment. And of course, people have their different, uh, you know, ideas of, of of why that might be the case. Um, but you mentioned already uh, earlier on, Darren, that it 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 would appear that it can't get much worse for Spurs. Um, <laughs> I love how you laugh. You talk, you talk about it being really bad for Spurs. <laughs> I guess what I what I wanted to ask first and foremost, uh, Darren, is do you feel that um, Poch will be Spurs manager come the end of the season? Yes, I do. And there's two key reasons for that. Um, a, I, th I think they're still committed to Pochettino. Mm -hmm. He's built up a lot of credit at mm -hmm. Tottenham. Mm -hmm. And I think he wants the chance to to do the overhaul and get to the next phase. He's, he's persuaded two very good players to come to the club in Ndombele and Lo Celso. And I think they'll be important players for the club going forward. And the other reason is I don't think he would go to Real Madrid because I think uh, Real Madrid have got a lot of senior, powerful players at the team. And Pochettino likes to work with young players. Mm. You know, he, starting this rebuild, he's already brought down the average age with those two players. Mm. And I think he'll bring more in to replace the players that are obviously going to leave. I think as far as Manchester United are concerned, you could argue that they do have good young players at the club, uh, but the, I think that Man United are committed to Solskjaer for better or for worse. And I think they'll stay with him. Wow. Um, 
I, I do. Mm. Yeah, their problems out are far deeper than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Yeah. It's a structural issue. Mm. I mean, we mentioned, you know, Manchester mm. City and Liverpool, they have perfect sporting structures behind the manager. Whereas when you look at Man United, it's Ed Woodward and the mm. manager. They need to, you know, fill the void. I don't know whether it's, you know, Van der Sar, mm. getting Van der Sar from Ajax and getting football people in mm. and around to support Oli. Yeah, but surely you must see some sort of, you know, tangible reward from you know, Oli's management. And when I look at this Man United team, it's like I'm repeating myself every single week, the same problems rear their ugly head. I mean, what players have improved? For me, no one. Yeah, but the thing about Oli as well, we can't say he's just been given the job. They gave him the job because he had a great running form. Mm. So obviously he's shown that he's got something to him. What a bounce effect! I can have a bounce effect. I can go into a team and say, "No, not really." They were played in a great. Come on, come on. When when we think about it, let's look at the squad. The squad that he started with, his Man United reign, to what it is now. Mm. They haven't got adequate replacement Mm. for what they lost. Romelu Mm. Lukaku. Everyone says, "Yeah, he's not a great player," but that man guarantees you goals. And the Herrera, Marwan Fellaini. Even though these players weren't probably you know, going forward part of Solskjaer's vision, they'll certainly help the Man United squad that they've got now. Mm. Yeah, I think as far as United are concerned, they are a collection of players rather than a team. Mm -hmm. And I think that you've got a guy in charge and Matt Judge helps with uh, a lot of the acquisitions as well and, and, and the contract talks but you've got a guy in charge who doesn't have a football gra- background he's got a commercial background mm-hmm. and that's points being mm-hmm. made for on many occasions mm-hmm. um, and also that decision to allow Lukaku to go it just seems crazy if you don't have a replacement lined exactly. up to come in so from that point of view I, I, I find that bizarre that they would allow that to be the case and I I think people will look at the 1-1 draw last week against Liverpool and, and see that as a sign that maybe things are turning around. <laughs> I know... <laughs> <laughs> you guys are going to get me into trouble. <laughs> well, it'd be interesting to see what the game is like against Norwich today because Norwich are a very high-intensity team who won't play the occasion and who won't give Manchester United time on the ball. Um, and whatever the score is, for better or for worse, I'm still yet to be convinced that Man United can go on any kind of run that is going to put you know any pressure on the teams right at the top of the league because they just don't have that consistency in them. There isn't enough leadership in their defence. Midfield without Pogba is very weak. And I think, listen, there is quality in attack. But I don't know that Solskjaer knows how to get the best out of that mm. quality. And yeah. that's the big problem. I, I, mm. I think it's on him mm. rather than on the individuals. I say the individuals rather than the team because I don't see them to be a team yet. And I think maybe a better manager could get more out of them, which mm. fascinates me as to why uh, they are so committed to Solskjaer. You know? yeah, I, think, I don't think the board want to seem like they've got egg on their face, but... Mm. You know, just to go back to your point, like I was, um, I think it was on Twitter, I saw a quote and it was like, oh, we've missed Anthony Martial. It was like some of the times we think, how are we going to break down a low block? Just give the ball to Anthony. And to me, that doesn't, you know, fill me with much confidence. That just seems that there's no real attacking impotence in training. When I look at Brendan, for example, I see a philosophy. I see a style of play. I see how they're trying to make triangles on the wings to try and break down opponents. But when I'm watching Man United, it's like, counter-attack or bust. They can't mm. create anything. I mean, against Liverpool, everyone's hailing this performance, but 
for goodness sake, they had two shots on target at Old Trafford and, and a, one was a foul. Yeah, that's the criticism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the criticism of Oli that he doesn't say anything thought-provoking when he comes out in front of the press. It's all cliche, nothing really tactical. When you listen to a clock or a pep, you're, you're really in tune. You think, wow, this guy knows about the game. But again, I think, you know, we're going to see how good Oli is. I want to see him with another transfer window or two. Then think, you'll be able to. Darren, you don't seem to. Well, no, because I just think that. No, it's not delusion, to be honest. I think, how can you give someone just one window and then say, you know what, pack your bags and go? I mean, it's. For me, it shows where we are at as a society, the Netflix and chill generation, yeah. the microwave generation. You know what? I don't like that. Turn it off. I want something new. I think, come on, let's give things time. That's the same way with Pochettino. Mm. I think, as Ferguson said, you know, there's four-year cycles. Mm-hmm. We know this Tottenham team at the end of their cycle. Why can't he be the right man, you know, to turn it around? Mm. I know, Dot, you want him to get sacked. You said in previous episodes, Pochettino. No, 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 no. You, you said, that, you said, said he should go. He's going to get I sacked. Said that, I didn't say that he's going to get sacked. I said that he should walk because I feel that he's taken that Tottenham team as far as he can take them. And I feel that, you know, his stock is so high that he can, he can get another top job. But, but I'm always fascinated think, by that opinion mm. because if you take a, a team, to as far as you can why can you not re- exactly. re- regenerate that team like Ferguson did at exactly. Manchester United because I, 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 I often yep. see that point of view mm. as you point uh, uh, that you've just made there he's taken a team as far as it can go but surely then the, the it's incumbent on you to then think about what next what can you do more exactly. in any job? You know, mm-hmm. if you work in, in, in a role in any industry, do you say, I've done that job. I've taken this place as far mm-hmm. as I can go. I'm leaving now. You wouldn't mm-hmm. do it. And I think as far as Pochettino is concerned, let's see what his team looks like with a new defence, mm-hmm. with more energy in midfield, with more creativity in the advanced areas. Let's see how we can inspire a new team and maybe get them to go where this old team failed, obviously, in, in relation to the Champions League. The, the big difference between him and, and Solskjaer, and even Solskjaer and Lampard, is that Lampard, as a manager, has played, what, nine games in the Premier League, ten games? Mm-hmm. And I can see an identity about Chelsea. Mm-hmm. I can see where they're going. I can't see that identity. Mm-hmm. I know the profile of the player that Manchester United want, because it's easy to see with one Bissaka and Daniel James mm-hmm. and a couple of... But when you look at the way that they play... As you say, they don't create chances. They're at home to Liverpool, you know, mm. and they've got a couple of shots on target. And Liverpool showed them too much respect because mm. if Liverpool play in that match as they've played against other teams in the Premier League, they rip Manchester United apart. And for a long time in that match, I'm looking at that game and I'm thinking, Liverpool aren't playing the way that they normally do. Mm. So th- that's the reason why I look at Saskia and I don't see a manager who... I, I, I'm Well, I do see a manager that I'm fascinated by because... It, if he were not a former player and he'd managed Mulder and Cardiff as his credentials for taking mm. over, he'd never get that job. Mm. Let's remember, he took Cardiff down as well. Exactly. Mm. It's the Nothing. same with Lampard as well, though. If you don't get an opportunity, you don't know. Mm. But I so, feel that, yeah, just yeah, to go yeah, back on yeah. that point, that um, you're a product of your environment. And for me, Pochettino 
he's not loyal to Tottenham in my opinion. I feel that I feel that I feel that he's looking for an opportunity mm. to take an escape route. We saw him flirt with Man United mm-hmm. last season. So I feel that that will rub off on players and some of the players are not happy. I know Tottenham are not paying big wages, but I feel that if Pochettino gets the optimal opportunity to leave, he's going to leave Tottenham, in my opinion. I think, I, listen, you're right in so much as Pochettino, when he had the chance to say he was committed to the club last season, he gave the mixed message just before the Champions League final. Uh, and he, he, and then he said, no, if if we if they win it, I would have left. And he's saying all sorts of things that make players think. Well, you said that, so why should mm-hmm. I be committed? Uh, and and that's a fair point to make. He has signed a new long term contract, so even if he were to leave, he'd either be walking away from a lot of money, or the club that wants to take him would have to pay a huge amount of money to Spurs and mm-hmm. compensation. But the prop, the the point is that. The reason for Spurs being where they are at the moment is that they've got a lot of players who are, who are just not committed anymore. They and, and you can say, I am committed and I am giving 100%. Commitment is signing the contract, you know. Mm. And, and, and to be fair to those players, to actually be fair to those players, very often when a player wants to leave a football club, uh, so they sign a contract maybe in the October, November, and then the following August, September... A big club comes in for them. So let's say August during the transfer window, mm-hmm. a big club comes in for them and then they wonder why the club won't let them leave. Well, and what do we say? Well, you signed the contract. <laughs> you, you know, if you sign yeah. the contract, you can't be... The club shows commitment and loyalty to you. You can't turn around and then say, well, they're keeping me against my will. They've agreed to pay you a mm-hmm. huge sum of money in advance, you know, higher than what you had earning, been earning before. So it works both ways mm. because what what we often say is if you don't want to be kept against your will, don't sign the contract. Mm. And that's exactly what Alderweireld and, er- and Ericsson and Vertonghen are doing. But they, in turn, can't turn around and say, we are committed to Spurs because mm. quite clearly you're not. Mm. And you're showing that with your view towards rejecting a contract. So mm. you can't... People say, why don't... Why doesn't Pochettino play Ericsson? Well, why would you commit to playing a, a player who doesn't want to be committed to your team when you mm-hmm. can play a younger player and improve that player for giving him games? Mm-hmm. Who is committed to your team? He might not be as good, but you can make him an asset, you know, yeah. by, by giving him the game time that improves him as a player. Mm-hmm. And that's why I, I can see Ericsson not getting too much game time mm-hmm. once Lacelso is fit and so able to play every week. So you agree with the stringent approach that Pochettino has taken on Ericsson? Yeah, That's absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Well, we I saw do. Luis Suarez wanted to leave Liverpool and he dropped the best, you know, arguably one of the best seasons we've ever seen in but the Premier Luis League. Luis Suarez is in a different sport to Ericsson. Mm-hmm. You know, Ericsson's a good player. Luis Suarez is one of the finest players I've seen in my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, he scored. Luis, I saw in, I think it was his final season. He scored a hat trick against Norwich, oh, which yeah, was yeah. just he loved goals and he loved scoring like against Norwich. Yeah, uh, yeah, honestly, yeah. I mean, Some and, and, that he did, he and then no you right see to. him playing with with Messi and and the link up play and the composure in front of goal and the outrageous skill that he produces mm-hmm. to score goals, and you realise he is just he, he, when you say he, he agreed to leave in the, it was his final season, and then he wanted to go Ronaldo in his final season was outstanding. These are guys on a different level. Mm-hmm. Ericsson, you know, in a Champions League match 
when Tottenham were crying out for somebody to take the game by the scruff of the neck. They're only one goal down. You need someone to take the game by the scruff of the neck like Hazard did. Do you remember Hazard yeah, in yeah, the Europa yeah, League? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ericsson couldn't do it. You know, so he's a good player, but is he an outstanding player? Not really. So if he's not going to commit himself to the club, you're not really losing that much by not playing him. And in the short term, yeah, you might feel a bit of a sting when you can do with his experience in in big Premier League matches. But what you're doing is you're insulating yourself by saying to someone else, well, he won't commit to us. I'm, you you play. We're committed to you. You've signed for however many years. You play. And you, 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 you have centre stage and you become a better player and you commit yourself to us. So I can see why he's doing that. And also with Tottenham as well, people forget that they've made three or four signings. I know Clark's gone back to Leeds on loan. Only one of them have featured prominently, you mm. know, in Dombele. Mm. So Ryan Sessegnon, he's meant to be a top young player. You know, Danny Rose, he looks like, you know, he's coming toward, not the end, but... His peak may have gone, let's say that, with his mm-hmm. last few performances that he's dropped in. So I think people also forget that Tottenham have signed players, but they're not available for one reason or yeah. another. Yeah. And these are yeah. players that are meant to, you know, aid that transition. Yeah, mm. I think so. I think, I, I mean, the, Foyth is now back available playing on that right back. And, you know, people who play right backs tell me that if you're a centre-half playing that right back, it's very, very difficult to... Um, do play that position because it's a completely different skill set. So I have to bow to their greater knowledge, you know, sort of like ex-pros and whatever else. But I still think that I look at Spurs and I see that they're trying to rebuild. Uh, and as you say, we're, we're in a, a very uh, impatient mm-hmm. society at the moment who Definitely. want to see things straight away and we mm. don't look at the bigger picture but I think that they're calm enough at Spurs to look at the bigger picture and realise that once they continue with this rebuild they get players out they get the players they want in suddenly the ship will be steadier again the key question I have though uh, whilst we're sort of pivoting between United and Spurs and I guess the question sort of uh, range true for both of them uh, in that are those managers both going to be backed in the market mm. in the way that they need to so we, we speak about Spurs now at the moment in uh, replacing certain players, you know, if, if, if uh, Ericsson, Vertonghen, Alderweireld are going are gonna to leave. Um, w- will they be backed in the transfer window just to replace those players? Or will they be, will, will, will Poch be backed enough to, because I mean, even, even if those players had decide to stay I still feel that there is more investment that's needed for Spurs and they still need to bring in more players so is it going to be investment just to replace what's leaving or will it be enough investment to go that step further and 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 the same is is the case for United will um, Solskjaer be given enough investment to address all of the key issues that need to be addressed and and I'm, I, I we mentioned this on 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 an episode uh, you know a little while back in that I think we need to shift away from looking at investment from a monetary perspective and more so from uh, uh addressing issues you know see, how many issues are being addressed you basically. just literally made the point I was about to make because I was about to say if you look at Spurs for example in the striking position Troy Parrott is going to be a fine player for them you know mm-hmm. Republic of Ireland uh, international scoring goals uh, a junior level for them and he's got real promise and he's had a 
few minutes and, and mm-hmm. he'll get a bit more time but I think he's going to be a good player for them up front and I think as you rightly say Sessegnon's already there they've got other players in the junior teams that can make the step up but I also think that we make the mistake often in football and in football journalism of believing that investment means massive amounts of money but that's not necessarily the case it's about buying wisely in the right mm-hmm. positions mm-hmm. Uh, Spurs have already to be fair to them smashed the transfer record see I'm using tabloid language again to bring in Ndombele um, mm-hmm. and I think that the, the the obligation to buy for La Celso, that's going to be a huge amount of money as well. I think you're talking mm. around about 50 odd million pounds. So you've right there, you've got two very expensive midfielders that underline the commitment of Spurs to uh, the rebuild. They've already spent obviously on, on the Sassignon mm-hmm. as well. They're going to have to get another right back. Yeah. And I think you've obviously seen the interest in Max Ahrens at Norwich. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think it's, I can't remember his name, Nathan Ferguson, it might be. I can't remember his name. But quite clearly there are other areas that, that, that they're going to commit. And, you know, when you talk about that, that commitment to rebuilding not being monetary, it's about building a team. We've been, this has been a theme of the, the pod. You know, you look at Leicester. Leicester have built a team. They haven't necessarily spent massive amounts of money. What did you say earlier? You know, you look at, they bought Mares for a small amount of money, mm-hmm. Kante for a small amount of money. The recruitment is about thinking outside the box. And I think we, we make as big a mistake as we say other people make if we suggest that if Levy or the power brokers at Man United don't put vast sums of money in. That's a failure of investment. It might not necessarily be. It might be that they re- recognise that there are good young players. Mason Greenwood at yeah. Manchester United mm-hmm. is going to be a fine player for them. Tahis Chong is going to be a good player for them as well. You know, they've got good uh, Brandon Williams. I think it is uh, at Manchester United. And we're going to see in the Carabao Cup coming up this week, there'll be more of the young players who are going to be playing this week. So the investment doesn't necessarily need to be monetary. It needs to be the faith that they have in the young players like Chelsea do that, that enable the, those young players to get the, t- the game time that they need and to be able to fill in the holes that those teams mm-hmm. have at the moment. And if they can do that, then I think, yeah, they'll be in good shape. Of course, there'll be areas where they do need to spend money, but I don't think throwing money at it, and it is the problem. Mm. And Man United are certainly finding that out because for all the money that they've spent since Sir Alex Ferguson has gone, they've gone backwards. Um, mm. And I think the Spurs now, the big thing that Pochettino has managed to get out of the fans at Spurs is trust that he knows what he's doing mm. in terms of the way that he's going. And I think that I, I see him staying and I see that side being strong again uh, by the end of the season. What do you make of Harry Kane? You know, he's been in the press recently. Do you think there's something to be worried about? Or do you think his kind of form or his, you know, physical abilities are, you know, underlying Tottenham's problems or it's all coincided together? See, I, 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 see, I disagree on Harry Kane, you know, because I think I looked at the game against, uh, goodness me, I've forgotten who they played in midweek in the Champions League. It will come to me. Red Star, Bel- Red Star. Red Star, Red Star, thank you. Um, and actually for all the goals they scored in that match I know I'm in a minority of one but I think some of their decision making in the final third was actually quite poor uh, I think that Lamella 
at times held on to the ball for all the good things he did is sometimes he held on to the ball for too long um I thought Delhi was a couple of times a little bit ponderous um and and it's a measure of how well they did in terms of the goal they scored mm-hmm. that 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 they managed to get such an easy win and I think that just might be confidence because it's mm-hmm. it's still coming back to them but Kane stood out in that match because some of Kane's passing was just outstanding some of the vision in his passing was just brilliant and it reminded me of when he played in a slightly deeper role for Spur, uh, for England against Spain in Spain and Rashford and Sterling oh, yeah, were yeah. ripping them up yeah. and he was just spraying the ball around and I, I think that that shows more that he's got to his game rather than just the composure in front of goal and I think that for all the problems that they've got, I don't think Kane's one of those problems. I, I think Kane is moving on to another level as a striker. And the one thing that, that did strike me was I was surprised that he stayed on for as long as he did against Red Star, mm. given that they got Liverpool yeah. this weekend. Yeah. Uh, and the game was won ages before. You know, mm. I think Son came off with 20 minutes to go and I think Kane probably should have come off at that point as well. Um, and maybe it might be that they were just trying to wipe out the goal difference. But I think... Uh, no, Kane for me is in is in good shape, and I think he's he's on course to compete for the Golden Boot again. I think um, Darren, just lastly before we move on from Tottenham, I feel I think the bigger question is I think I was reading an article from Johnny Jonathan Liu, um, mm-hmm. and he was saying that I think we're we're getting to the point where a style of play doesn't suit Harry Kane anymore. So, for example, he was talking about the pressing numbers from mm-hmm. the front that Harry Kane's um, tackles per game have dropped significantly mm. and that's having a domino effect on the rest of the team. Hence why you're seeing Tottenham more laboured because mm. he can't press from the front anymore. Do you feel that that's a concern? I think the there isn't enough energy in the team as a whole right from the back. I think that the goalkeeper's unconvincing. Gazaniga, I think his kicking against Red Star was very poor as mm. well and again in the preceding game as well. Even Lloris, when he's in the side, you know, he's, he's taking a few risks that he doesn't need mm. to, to take. Uh, I think if you look at the back, at centre-half, they're uncertain. At left-back, you could see why Ben Davis is in the side at the moment ahead of mm-hmm. Rose. At yep. right-back, uh, they have been often playing Sissoko there or, you know, doing whatever they can to make do. Uh, and in midfield, there isn't enough energy on the pitch until an end on belly comes on uh, so all over the park you're looking at players who are, are just not on their game and I don't think you can lay it necessarily at Kane's door mm. because I think Kane is essentially doing his job it's the other players who are not doing theirs fair point now I'm just having a look at the time um, unfortunately we are deep into Fergie time there are clock a few time other now. questions oh, clock time now <laughs> yeah. Clock time. Yeah. There, there are a few more questions that we actually wanted to, to, to ask you Darren but sure. just in the interest of time um, we wanted to go back to um, uh, a topic that we mentioned at the start of the, the pod um, that we would we would discuss, um, and that is um, you know the topic of racism in the game. Now, of course, there's been so many uh, incidents of, of of late that we can sort of pick apart and, and delve into. Um, what, where I think would be a great place to start is to get your thoughts and views on. Um, which teams, uh, if, if any, you feel are really leading the charge in the way of, you know, uh, doing their part to eradicate, um, mm. uh, racism from the game. 
Um, and, you know, I read uh, sort of a piece that you um, uh, did with uh, Andre Gray recently mm-hmm. um, and, and, and how uh, it was really interesting to hear and, and read about the stance that Watford have on racism in the game and, and the work that they're doing with the police in the community um, to really, really, you know, rubber stamp, um, you know, their stance on it. Um, and, and, and it's, 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 you know, it's really motivational. Um, and, and, and hopefully it sort of, it catches fire and other clubs follow suit. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess that would be a, a good place for us to start. On, on that. Yeah. I mean, Watford are, Watford want to be really proactive. And the big problem in some cases, not all, but in some cases in football is that clubs are reactive mm-hmm. and they want to change that. So they've got this whole club approach and fan approach as well, where almost goes back to when we were kids and if you're, you're in a community really and, and if you were walking down the street and you did something wrong and your mum's friend saw you and she'd bring your mum and tell mm-hmm. you know and then you're in trouble when you get up <laughs> you know you used to get that <laughs> well, well I think that's what Watford are trying to do they're trying to get people to say not just at the stadium if you're on the bus if you're at the bus stop if you're you know in the chip shop or whatever if you see stuff that is going on because what they're trying to say is we have a fan base that doesn't tolerate discrimination Mm -hmm. and I think football has to work harder at that the sound bites are one thing but it's the doing that's another Mm -hmm. and I think all of us as black men uh, appreciate the, the need that football has to do more than hang on to sound bites. Um, And that's not to say that the people who are, who run the game, I actually think somebody asked me the other day, do they care? I think in England, they do care. You know, I was thinking about this. I I think they do care, but I just think that they don't have that experience that we have Mm -hmm. as black men Mm -hmm. of being susceptible to, I had an interview with a player and um, who'd, suffered racism and he said every time I play I'm expecting it sad which is a very sad place mm-hmm. to be you know so I, I think that the way to change that as clubs and, and I don't just want to mention Watford although their we campaign is a, is a is an excellent place to start because it, it's key and Andre Gray I could listen to him talk for hours because he's so great on it and you know we spoke for about an hour or so and, and there, he has so many good ideas about the, the way he sees life and his own experience as well but Chelsea are very proactive on it as well you know I spoke to Tammy Abraham uh, for CNN actually at the start of the season and he was talking about how he's strong enough to be able to deal with it but there are other players who aren't and don't necessarily um, know how to cope with it you know these are the players that we have to support Liverpool, I remember last season, ahead of a game, there was some footage on social media of uh, a couple of players being offensive towards Mo Salah. And they were able to identify those players and those players weren't able to get into the European match that they would been travelling to get to. Uh, Chelsea, I remember... I go back to Chelsea because, you know, they've taken, they've had games abroad mm. to raise awareness in terms of the the, the anti-Semitism problem. Yeah. You know, there are a number of clubs that Manchester United reacted really quickly when they'd found out a player was being racially abusive towards one of their players. Mm. Sorry, a player, uh, a fan was mm. being racially yeah. abusive towards one of their players. So there are a number of clubs who are doing good work in trying to, tackle the problem head on but I think the game 
needs a big solution. And listen, I, I won't lie, I'm very much a fa- an advocate of walking off. Mm-hmm. I, I think that it's only when the game is disrupted and finance is at stake mm-hmm. and there is chaos that yeah. you will have a situation where things can change mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. out of that chaos come, can come order. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you keep mentioning the, the length of time I've done the job, but that length of time has given me the perspective to see that in 20 years, nothing has changed. You know, and I, one thing I've been hearing all this time is that if you walk off, you let them win. Well, they win if you stay on because they mm-hmm. can abuse you and still enjoy their football. Yeah. So I don't see the logic to to continuing to play through it. And if you went to if you went to a dinner party and somebody was racially offensive, would you stay for the entire meal? No, you wouldn't. Of course you know? not. So why should yeah. football be any different? Absolutely. And that makes me like you know think that that means football is more important than this issue. Because if you play on, that means football is taking significance. Mm-hmm. Football is meant to become insignificant the minute something like that occurs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and think changes need to be made at, you know, director level. We're seeing a lot of changes, I would say, in this country, in entry level, in journalism, things like that. But again, UEFA, the rules are probably being made by, let's face, a white man. So it's not in favour of the minority there's no one, you know, probably in that organisation or at the upper echelons that can empathise with being racially abused at your line of work. I mean, we saw it the other day with Tyrone Mings. I mean, I thought he handled the case, you know, superbly. We all saw the footage of him talking to the linesman. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Should you have to put up with that ordeal? And I believe that the authorities or the referee and the match delegates, they were doing everything in their power not to stop that match. Mm. I think all the let's stop, let's speak over the tannoy, that was tokenism in my point of view. For me, it was reactive. People, A lot of people are praising, you know, the approach that UEFA took on that day. But for me, that's a reactive approach. Subconsciously, you already knew that this was going to occur during that match. We could all tell when I was mm. watching from my TV screen. I knew what was going to happen. Yeah, they they said, it a, week, yeah, they said it a week before that. Yeah, we're we're prepared for racist abuse. So, so if you're prepared for it, why don't you nip it in the bud? Why are we strangle it at birth? Mm. You but, see, I, I I just think that everything that we saw in Bulgaria goes into the approach they had in the seventies, which was silence them by scoring lots of goals or sticking one in the top corner but it's still just a cover for getting on with the game don't disrupt the game Mm. don't make things uncomfortable and we as black people for many years if we're in a difficult situation someone's offensive to us we always find a way to save their feelings rather than Mm -hmm. ours Mm -hmm. you know let's not make a scene I don't want them to Mm. think I'm a disruptive black man or an angry black man or whatever else Um, but I think I have this mantra, if you do what you always do, you'll get what you've always got. And I think we are no nearer a solution because radical action hasn't been changed. Mm -hmm. It hasn't been taken. And I, I, this is a personal opinion, but I don't think Harringay Borough get anywhere near the column inches, the TV coverage that they would have got had they not walked off the pitch. Yeah. Had it just been a Mm -hmm. case, it would have been a footnote in a couple of newspapers, maybe on a couple yeah. of news bulletins, but that would have been it. But by turning around and saying, you know what, we're not going to accept this. I'm aware that on Tuesday when they replay their game, and there's a whole question about whether they should replay it anyway, because the FA have treated other clubs who've walked off the pitch very, very differently to the way that they're treating Harringay Borough. But 
the world and his wife are going to be there in terms of media when they replay the game on, on, on Tuesday. So that to me tells me that, that tells me that walking off does have a value because it does highlight your problem and bring it to the national attention. And if you look at other industries, they go on strike. You know, there are fem- there are women, female players in Spain who are going on strike over paying conditions. Tube drivers, nurses, doctors, teachers, factory workers. If you have problems like this in other industries, they walk out. Yeah. They withdraw their labor, you know. Why are we, as black men, the last industry? Mm. You know, and why? I believe we've conditioned a whole generation, not just of black people, but white people as well, and and fans as well, to believe that if you walk off, you're letting the racists win. We've conditioned them mm. to believe that the game is all important, mm. and it's not. And and you look at Kobe Rowe, at Haringey, and the impact it had on him. He's crying in the dressing room afterwards, and he's still affected by it. He's a young man. He's had his issues. Why, why should we keep putting young men through it? It's an ordeal. Mm. It's an ordeal. And, and I think you, if you look at uh, the, the way you wait for a... I said about English football, they care. I think UEFA do care, but I don't think that they understand. And I think there's a difference between the two. Because as has been said by many people, the three-step protocol gives people three chances to abuse Mm. black guys. And even after the second time that the players were abused, playing for England, the referee doesn't do what he should do, which is take control and say, even if you want to play on, the rules say I must take you off. Yeah, but so I'm going to take of you off. Sorry, Darren, can I interject? Because we wrote a piece um, regarding the lack of being representations at a refereeing level. And we were saying that if that was a black ref put in that nasty situation, surely action would have been taken because that referee would have had empathy towards the players and the referee would have also been offended. Well, that is... Uh, you might have seen a piece I did for CNN with the referee Joel Mannix, who's one of the only black referees in English football. Well, I say only. There are none in the top four divisions of English football, yeah. which is a, just a remarkable situation in 2019. Since Uriah Rennie, we haven't seen one. 2009, exactly. And there are a whole host of them outside of the top four. Now, the FA say that they're working on ways to fast track referees into the top four divisions. But how did we get here where we've got none? And that's a big problem. This issue is so big because there is so little representation at the top. And if there was more representation at the top, we'd have a very different situation at the bottom. And, you know, in well, at all levels of the game. I remember we were speaking to a a non-league journalist and he was saying that some of the language that you hear in these refereeing courses... It just, you know, it makes you sick to your stomach. Mm. Some of them are saying that, like, you know, all black people look the same, so be careful when you're booking them. So, like, it's just, it's it's not right, in my mm. opinion. I feel that there needs to be a hard-line approach. And some people say, this. you know, you know, oh, well, you know, you're always talking about racism and all, but, but you know, what I found in, in journalism, in, in the time I've done this job, 
is that everybody talks about it for a while when a big thing happens and then mm-hmm. it goes quiet yeah. and people are uncomfortable when you actually continue talking about it and highlight the many cases that there are mm-hmm. and the lack of action being taken around mm-hmm. them so they want you to be quiet about talking about racism why are you always talking about racism yeah. Yeah. why are you always raising this mm-hmm. well the reason why is because if you don't talk about it, then every next every story that comes up is a fresh story. It's a fresh outbreak of, oh, how could this happen mm. or whatever else without any real solution. And I think the time's come now for you guys as well as for the journalists to, to, to put pressure on mm-hmm. and keep raising it and keep talking to people about it and keep it in the public eye. Because if you do that, then players will feel com- more confident about coming up to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and the press will realise we can't just allow this to go away. And I'm not saying that they do that out of any malice, but if, if, it's, if it's not your lived experience, it doesn't necessarily become a priority for you. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I just feel, particularly if people ask me to tell their stories, I should tell their stories. Yeah. And so from my point of view, it is important for us to keep talking about it. You guys will do big things and, a group of people coming after you and it's for you to be able to make the conditions for them to be able to thrive good mm-hmm. and so in highlighting the issue you help that to be the case yeah. so yeah I, I think it's a really really important time for us I think uh, you know a problem in you know society I feel that people feel that because a generation suffered the next generation kind of have to suffer as well um, and I just want to ask you a question in terms of mm. when a racist incident does happen on a football pitch. Are you expecting a call from certain news you know, agencies saying that, Darren, come onto our platform, come and talk about racism? How does it feel as a minority in the industry when racist you know, incidents occur? Um, well, the, the industry's changed slightly mm. in so much as when something like that happens, other people get called to speak about it. Um, often... Okay, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Around Bulgaria, I got a call from a couple of outlets, uh, which, and even before that, other incidents as well, which I, I thought to myself, I don't think I'm going to do this interview. And I was very honest about it because mm-hmm. I think we only really deal with this issue when we explore them in depth, when we explore these issues in depth. If we don't do that, then we are just contributing to a problem that's existed for a long time, which is that we pay lip service to it for five minutes and then we move on. And so on that basis, you know, not not rudely, but I just explained what my position was. And to be fair to those outlets, um, they basically said, well, look, we're going to give it four or five minutes, you know, which obviously in radio time is a long time. Yeah. But, I know that, for example, if, I, if I'm on talk sport, I have time to talk about it. You know, I know that if I'm on CNN, they devote loads of time to it. The Daily Mirror give me a big platform for it. Um, but not every outlet does it. Some outlets just want to be able to say, we did the story. And that for mm-hmm. us, not for me, for us, mm-hmm. for all of us, for this issue, isn't enough anymore. Yeah. <clears throat> I was listening to a very good podcast between Stan Collymore and Ian Wright, <laughs> and they were saying exactly the same thing. Companies phone them up. Yeah, Ian, Stan, we need you for two minutes. Mm. What do you think of this racist incident? Mm. And they said that I'm not going to do it. Mm. We can't solve the issue in two minutes. No way. I've had a career for like 20 odd years and you want to talk to me just about racism and not about my career. Yeah. And also, I just wanted to lead on um, to a question about 
as being mis you know represented we need as many allies you know in in racism in our fight against racism so how do you feel when like figures like john barnes come and you know undermine the fight against racism look it's a difficult one because i i think John has his own opinion and it's no secret that we don't agree. Okay. But I have to respect his opinion. I have to respect his opinion. And I think that the fight against racism isn't necessarily solved by people disagreeing publicly. Uh, The fight against racism is solved by us continuing to respect each other. If we're calling for respect for us as black people, then we have to respect each other. What I would say is that I've learned that, that older players have a different perspective to younger players. So there are a number of older players who maintain the stance that they wouldn't walk off the pitch for example, if they were abused, they feel, and I've had it explained to me and I've, I've learned from what they're saying and I have to respect what they're saying. Their view is that they fought for too much in terms of standing up through it and being strong through it for people to then start abandoning games and walking off. My view is different to that because I think Yes, they've shown terrific dignity and an admirable dignity and they've paved the way for us. But now the onus is on us to make that next step mm-hmm. rather than to do what they've done. Mm-hmm. The onus on, on us is to make that next step, not to be afraid to speak what mm-hmm. we need to say. The climate is ready for us to be able yeah. to do that. And so we have to take their work on and... That means if it's players being strong enough to walk off, if it's people like me in in the media being strong enough to say what I need to Mm -hmm. say, if it's you guys being strong enough to say, you know, and to address the issues that need to be addressed and give them the time necessary so that people feel that if they come and talk to you, they're doing a subject justice. So from that point of view, I I, I would say that I, I think we all have to, there has to be unity. I think if we're fighting for respect for us as black men, then we have to respect each other. I know that's probably not the answer you wanted. <laughs> but, yes, but, it's fair enough, but because yeah, I, I listened to the chat between you, um, I think Hugh Wozencroft and mm. Paul Parker, and mm. I thought John, you know, he was, uh, I thought some of the stuff he was he was saying wasn't correct, you know, talking about um, the Benjamin Mendy mm. and the um, Bernardo Silva incident. Mm. I thought he didn't carry himself correctly as befitting of a of a black person. He was undermining, you know, and he, again, as you said, we need unity to solve mm-hmm. this issue. Mm-hmm. And he seems to be an, an unnecessary sideshow mm-hmm. in the incident, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, look, I think if, if we don't have that unity, then we... Racism is distraction. Yes. And sometimes we can be distracted in what we're trying to achieve Mm. and we have to be careful not to allow that to happen Mm. we have to be brave enough to say what we need to say and to kind of push through that and as i say in a couple of decades i've seen a lot of moments like this but i've seen the opportunity to build on those moments fall away Mm -hmm. and what we have to do is to hold 
onto this moment and to use that collective strength to push through with it. And I don't think we'll do that by arguing with each other. I think we'll do that by continuing to make sure that the message is prominent, that the message is well articulated mm-hmm. and that we create a climate that empowers other people if they want to speak up about their experiences mm. or the position that they find themselves. Mm. Let's not what? fight the issue. Let's mm. fight. No, let's not fight each, each other. other. Let's, let's fight, fight the issue. issue. Let's fight yeah. the issue. Yeah. Absolutely. Dar- Darren, one question that I had is that, you know, how much confidence does it give you when you see new young journalists of a BAME background coming into the industry? I mean, we've got Kyle Ankar. Mm. We've got Adrian Kajumba, who we're big fans of. Let's not forget Leon Man. He Leon does Mann, tremendous work in the industry. He's helped mm-hmm. us out a lot and Absolutely. he's a big ally for us as well. I'm going to start with Leon actually because I think the work that Leon's done is just incredible. Mm. And I think people don't always see the work that Leon does. Mm. They don't see the meetings that he holds. They don't see the time he commits. They don't see the long hours that he puts in the miles that he travels but he does a tremendous job I, I say does in, in the present tense because it, it's ongoing and I think Leon realised many years ago because a few of us were in a room in central London where BCOMS was born and Leon realised that there is only so much you can say in terms of protesting about the status quo it's time to change the landscape and that's what Leon got people together to do and not only did he get those people together but it's so easy to lose the momentum of something like Mm -hmm. that particularly in the early days when you're not getting the support you're not getting the funding there still isn't the funding Mm -hmm. for beacons that there should be but Leon really fought hard to keep that going and the people who have got a foothold in this industry have that foothold because of Leon and you know and when I talk about the young people over the last couple of years it's because of the work of of BCOMS and the various places that he's enabled them to go, whether it's BT, whether it's Sky Sports, whether it's the Daily Mirror, you know, those young kids, he brings them to us and we show them the ropes and give them the opportunities. And there are a few of them, Talk Sport, have been involved in helping with that as well. So, yeah, that's a good place to start. The other guys you mentioned, Sammy Mockbell, Outstanding yeah, journalist, journalist, senior football correspondent at the Daily Mail, Adrian Kajumba. You know, he's just a terrific journalist, yeah, yeah. a terrific Great guy man as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, not too much. No, he's a terrific guy. Terrific guy. Terrific guy. And um, you know. Kadeem Simmons I want to mention I want to mention oh, Rodney yeah. Hines as well oh, the voice mm-hmm. terrific guy mm-hmm. Carl Anker who just writes great stuff for, for the athletic mm-hmm. um, and has done, obviously done lots of stuff with the players voice as well you know we've got a really good crop of young younger journalists well younger than me um, journalists <laughs> um, and and you know that it's great because I remember when I started for a long time, I was the only national journalist, you know, and that's a lonely place to be, yeah. you, know, you know, because if you make a mistake, you know, there's no place to hide, mm. you know, and when you're finding your feet, you do make a lot of mistakes, you mm-hmm. know, and, but, and, and, uh, or if you say something controversial, it can get easily shot down, you know, um, but when there are other journalists who are able to 
to kind of push with that, you know, and, and, and other journalists are able to do good things, then suddenly, you know, you realise that the landscape really is changing. Darren, just sorry, oh, no, yeah, just a quick question. In terms of, you know, interviewing professionals, have you like had some sort of like connection when you interview black players? Do you feel like some sort of special relationship? I mean, like Tammy Abraham, are they more open to you? Do you Danny feel? Rose, because I think he uh, exclusively Andre opened up to you about mm. the depression. <laughs> yes and no. Yes and no. Some sometimes you do you do have an understanding, and you certainly do feel able to ask certain questions, knowing that if you ask that question, you can ask it from a position of experience. Mm. So for argument's sake, I remember speaking to Abdullah Dekore at Watford. Oh, yeah. And then we were discussing the perception of footballers. And one, one big bugbear of mine before I came into journalism was reading stories about footballers where they would say, if I wasn't a player, I'd be in jail or I'd be a drug dealer. And all stories like that were doing were underlying a negative underlining a negative perception of black people let alone footballers because they were saying they are our only life choices and they're not our only life choices quite clear. I don't even need to say that mm-hmm. um, but I was quite keen not to and I am always quite keen not to do that kind of story with any footballer and um, I remember speaking to Abdullah and he was telling me about you know the emphasis on education within his family in the different directions that he could have gone in academically had he not become a footballer. And it, and it was good to have that kind of positive conversation. Mm-hmm. And also he spoke about pace and power and the way that those words are used. And it's been a big bug for, bear of mine for many years that those words are attributed to black footballers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we are, we are journalists. We have vast vocabularies. We should be able to find other words to describe the attributes that footballers full stop let alone black players have but those words play into a narrative that goes back mm-hmm. decades where black players were seen as strong and mm-hmm. and quick they but call them monsters as well that's mm-hmm. absurd Beasts, that yeah. and not thinkers mm-hmm. you know and not not strategists and that's the reason why sometimes black players weren't captains or you see so few black managers because people don't trust black men to have those roles of leadership. Perhaps they don't see them as people who can lead, motivate, energize young men. Perhaps they don't see them as people who think about the game and have good ideas on how to develop a team. And even though we've seen people like Paul Lintz save M- uh, Macclesfield and MK Dons and Sol Campbell as well, you know, Soldier Award is South End when it should be a team higher up the football pyramid. Mm-hmm. So we. The, I think we, we, we need to kind of, there are l- landscapes that we need to change. And I think having more black journalists in our industry will help us to change those landscapes. Yeah, just to add on to your point about the <coughs> lack of representation in, you know, the managers. We've got, I think, three BAME managers. Obviously, Sol Campbell has recently gone to Southend. We've got um, Darren Moore at Doncaster. We've got Dino Mamra at Oldham as well. I mean... The case of Saul Campbell bewilders me. I mean, this is a man that saved, you know, Macclesfield. 
Now he's gone into another firefighting job where his back's against the wall. He's always having to start, you know, minus. He's not being given a level playing field. When you look at someone like Joey Barton being given a decent job at Fleetwood, why do you think this happens? Is this part of the institutional racism that we're talking about? Well, I think, first of all, you know, when I grew up, there used to be a lot of... You'd hear, hear people sort of talking about you need to work hard and it goes back to what I was saying right at the start you know when you get your education when you arm yourself you give yourself a good chance but even when you do arm yourself you'll find yourself fighting a structural imbalance <coughs> within our industry um, and unwittingly I think some players historically have played into that narrative by telling that kind of story if I wasn't a footballer I would be doing this or that and creating a culture where owners and chairman don't trust them yeah and I think hopefully when you see the talent coming through now that that's changing um, also the spotlight on this particular issue you know of the lack of managers regardless of what they achieve they still don't get the chances that they should have um, and I think as well I know a lot of ex-professionals are going into football administration so hopefully we'll have more people at the top of the game, of the top, at the top of the game, who are in a position to make decisions on who becomes the manager at football clubs, and maybe that might change as well. Because you're right, obviously we missed that Nuno uh, in terms uh, of yeah, game yeah. at Wolves, but I think you're right when you look at the numbers. I remember when the FA did a review many years ago and, and uh, they, they looked at the FA board and there were women who were put on there, but no black people. You know, you look at the EFL board, there are no black people on there. You know, you look at, at the, so many boards in English football and there were so few black people on there. You look at the so many uh, Premier League, Football League, uh, decision-making positions and there are so few black people on there and I think it it will change but we need to force that change and we force that change by being good at what we do and when I say we they as players but obviously we in general you know in life need need to do that and I think uh, Sol's position is will always get remarked upon but other players as well who have done <coughs> tremendously well you know Chris Hewton who's taken any number of clubs into the Premier League and he is without a job at the moment you know how can that be right so there Even are Darren Moore the job he done at West Brom does it deserve going down to League One to Doncaster to rebuild yourself oh. other managers Pardews they'll get a similar job it's, mm. it's bewildering I think I think in years to come, we'll look back at this period and, and, and see just how unjust and unfair it is in relation to black managers. You know, thankfully, there are lots of white journalists as well as black people kind of looking at this and raising this yeah, as yeah, a point, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is encouraging. But the situation right now remains that when you look at 92 clubs in the Premier, it, sorry, in English football pyramid, and you see less than a handful of those run by black managers, you realise that we, we, we have a long way to go. Mm. And that, again, is another part of the reason why 
people would want us to stop talking about it. But if we stop talking about it, then it goes back into the shadows instead of being out there for people to have to deal with and accept. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, is it is a sort of a as a negative point set to end on, but certainly food for thought. Um, and 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 you know, I mean, we could definitely talk on on this issue and. It, you know, amongst loads of other uh, topics, um, you can have to invite me back end. on. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Maybe a part two at the home yeah. 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 Home yeah. Honestly, you know, we've, we've we've honestly really really enjoyed um, excellent yeah. the time yeah. with Thank you, Karen. We really, again, we really appreciate you taking out the time for us to sit down and and, and speak. Um, it's been a great episode. Mm. I've, I've really enjoyed it a lot, it. and, and it's you. been great hearing your your view and uh, your opinion on uh, on a number of different uh, topics. But unfortunately. That is all we have uh, time for. Uh, so listeners, thank you so much for listening up until this point. Uh, as always, uh, please continue to help us grow the platform. Share the episode with your family, your friends, your work colleagues amongst your group chats. Um, if you're not yet following our uh, Twitter handle, please make sure you do. <coughs> Darren. At podcast underscore TBG. Um, you know, we're also um, on on um, on Instagram, uh, pod underscore TBG, to help us grow uh, that too. Uh, just a reminder that you can listen to our episodes uh, on SoundCloud, on Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. I just uh, found out you're not do. following me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll sort that out now. We'll sort that out. So, 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 yeah. Um, uh, if if you are listening to us on uh, uh, Apple Podcasts, please make sure you leave a five star review. Um, and and when we put out the the episode, well, of course, we'll uh, we'll follow up with some tweets and whatnot, and asking uh, you guys to share your thoughts and views on uh, some of the things that we covered. Uh, and when you do tweet us, please make sure you use the hashtag TBGPod. Um, thank you for, for listening in again um, and thank you for all of your engagement It re- we really do appreciate it and, and as always you know it always helps to uh, grow and, and move the pod in the right direction um, and that is pretty much it from us as always I'm looking over at Dot making good, sure I've got the great stuff alright that's it from us guys uh, over and out Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 